if anyone wants to come and sit at the front, you're going to see pictures up here. But you, if you sit there, <clears throat> so you can see the pictures and hear the story. Because we're going to have a bit of a story now. This is called Pharaoh's Man. In a single moment, Pharaoh elevates Joseph from prison to prime minister. So he was the second most important person. Joseph goes outside and kneels in prayer, thanking God for his protection and guidance. Then Joseph ordered the people to start preparing for the famine. There was going to be seven years of lots of crops and food and seven years with no food. And that means a famine. He becomes famous and everyone rejoices when he marries the beautiful daughter of the priest of On. And he, she says, I am so proud to be your wife, Joseph. You have done so much for our people. There's still a lot to do. The good years will quickly pass. So all too soon, the bad years begin. The famine continues and people come from other countries that have run out of food. Only Egypt, who is warned by God, has stores of grain. People from every country come to Egypt, hoping to buy some of the extra food. One day, tribesmen from Canaan enter Joseph's city. In order to buy grain, they appear before the governor of Egypt. Then, just as Joseph dreamed many years before, they bow before him. <gasps> My brothers, they don't recognize me after all these years. Since his brothers didn't recognize him, Joseph wants to find out whether they have learned to be kind and merciful in the years since he's seen them. So he decides to test them. You are spies! No, no, my lord, we are ten sons. The great chieftain Jacob, he sent us to buy grain. Ten sons? How many more does your father have? Uh, well, he, he had twelve sons. The youngest Benjamin is at home with our father, and the other one, he died a long time ago. I still say you're spies. Guards, take them away. Why should he think we're spies? I don't know. But it was strange that the governor wanted to know how many sons our father had. Hours pass, then days, and the brothers try to understand what has happened. Never once do they suspect that their brother Joseph is the governor of Egypt. On the third day, Joseph calls for his brothers to be brought to him. You may buy grain, but be sure you're not spies. To make sure you're not, I will hold one of you in prison until you bring the youngest brother to me. Gosh, me in prison? This must be punishment for what we did to Joseph long ago. I told you not to hurt him. Has it taken me all these years to regret the evil that you did? So Simeon is quickly bound and taken to prison as a hostage, frightened and eager to leave Egypt. The others, other brothers hurry to the storehouse to buy grain. Pay me first, then I will fill your sacks. Their grain sacks were filled. The brothers leave Egypt at once. But when they get home, they discover that their sacks are filled with not only the grain, but also the money. Why do you have money in your sacks? And where is Simeon? The whole trip was so strange. The governor said that we were spies and he put us all in prison. Then he released us, everyone except Simeon. And Simeon has had to stay there until we take Benjamin to Egypt. Take Benjamin to Egypt? Never! I lost Joseph long ago. I am not about to lose another son. I will not let you take Benjamin. But father, what about Simeon? Yes, and what about Simeon? And what about us? And when the grain runs out, we'll have to go back for more. We can't go without Benjamin. 
The family uses the grain sparingly, but one day, Jacob's hungry tribe have to face the truth. The grain is almost gone. What should we do? Jacob, the old chieftain, faces a hard decision. But why should the governor of Egypt hold Simeon in prison until he sees Benjamin? What does he want with my youngest son? Nobody knows, Father, but if I don't go, Simeon will die in prison and we will starve. Father, I have to go. Benjamin is right. Then go. But this time, take double the amount of money for grain. Take gifts for the governor and may God be merciful to us. Days later, Jacob's son lead their pack animals through the gates of the Egyptian city. Don't worry, Benjamin, we'll do everything to protect you. I'm not afraid. God will take care of us here, just like he does in our, old, in our fields at home. At the brothers' return, Joseph releases Simeon from prison. Then he questions Judah. Is your father well? Uh, yes, your excellency. And, and, and this, your youngest brother? Yes, this is Benjamin. The sight of his own brother Benjamin reminds Joseph of their mother, who died when Benjamin was born. Suddenly, he can't face it, his half-brother, so he turns and leaves the room. What's happened? Joseph returns to the banquet hall to continue their plan to test his brothers. They are seated and the food is served, but even this is a mystery to them. Did you notice we are seated according to our age? I tell you, this man knows too much about us. What is he up to? But even as they wonder, the governor has the brothers served and he gives the largest portion to Benjamin. This is a sign of great honour. Did you see that? I hope this means Benjamin is safe. The banquet ends. The next morning, the brothers buy their grain and leave, but they are hardly out of the city before a chariot overtakes them. Stop! One of you has stolen the master's silver cup. Your, Your master's cup? But but we are innocent. Search us if you want. If I find the cup, the man whose sack it is hidden in will be punished severely. One by one, the sacks are searched. (gasps) At last, the officer opens Benjamin's. (gasps) The cup! I, I, I never saw it before. It's a mistake. I tell you, he didn't steal it. My orders are to bring back the man who had the cup. You there, get in the chariot. We'll all go back with you, Benjamin. Back in the city, the brothers face the angry governor of Egypt. Did you think you could steal from me and get away with it? But I will be merciful to the one who had the cup. He will be my slave. The rest of you, you can return to your father. But if Benjamin doesn't come home, our father will die of grief. Let me be your slave instead of Benjamin. For a moment, there's silence. And the governor turns to the guards. Go, leave me alone with these men. The terrified brothers finally wait. And finally, Joseph speaks. I can't keep the secret any longer. I am Joseph, your brother. You sold me as a slave many years ago. But God has blessed me. And now we're here again together. Joseph? He must hate us. What will he do now? Jacob's sons are so shocked that they realise the governor of all Egypt is actually their long-lost brother. Then, 
They remember how they last treated him. I believe it was God's will for me to come to Egypt so I could save your lives and the lives of everyone suffering from the famine. Oh, we don't deserve God's mercy, Joseph. Can you forgive us? I forgave you all those years ago, but I had to be sure that you had changed. When you showed your loyalty and love to Benjamin, I knew you had. Look, this famine has got five more years. Go home. Bring our father to be near me. I will provide for you all. Thank God for a brother like you. Wow. Please take a seat and let us pray. Gracious God, as we look a bit more now at the story of of Joseph, Lord, would you speak into each one of our hearts now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Okay, we're going to think a bit more about this story of, of Joseph and what he was doing in his life and what happened. And we're going to think about this word forgiveness and reconciliation. We're going to start with forgiveness because forgiveness is right at the center of what it means to be a Christian. This is the best definition I can find just about in the Bible of what, how a Christian should behave when it comes to forgiveness. It's in the book of Colossians and it says this, be quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the Lord forgave you. Be quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the Lord forgave you. Be quick to forgive an offense. C.S. Lewis said this, everyone thinks that forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And last Wednesday, kind of the world changed a bit more. And we saw some awful and terrific and tragic scenes from a place that most of us, I guess, have, have walked nearby. We might have even walked on the same spot. And I'm not going to pretend to say what those families who are affected have gone through. I'm not, certainly not going to say what they should do. What I am going to say is what somebody else who I know quite well did. You see... Last Wednesday, sadly, a 40-something police officer was stabbed by an Islamic terrorist and died. 14 years previously, a 40-something police officer was stabbed by an Islamic terrorist and died. This time he was in Manchester. His name was, was Stephen Oak. His dad is called Robin. Robin, I got to know quite well when I was in Shrewsbury. Because, but at the time that it happened, he was the chief constable of the Isle of Man. And on the morning after his son's death, his son died at about 10 o'clock in the evening, he had to go and give a press conference. And the reporters, one of the reporters asked him and said, what do you think of your son's killer? This is 12 hours after it had happened. And he paused, and he then said these words, I forgive him because God can forgive him. I forgive him because God can forgive him. He went on to to write a book, 
He is a lovely, gracious man. And in this book, he said this, Revenge imprisons us, forgiveness sets us free. Revenge imprisons us, forgiveness sets us free. You see, if you think about it, there is no future without forgiveness. Actually, as a Christian, if you think about it a bit more, that one sentence sums up Christianity completely. There is no future without, Christi- without forgiveness. That is big picture and little picture Christianity. Be quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the Lord forgave you. Here's the little picture Christianity. It's the prayer that we say every Sunday. Some of us will say it every day. As we forgive those who sin or who trespass against us. That is little picture Christianity lived out in our lives daily. We do that because big picture Christianity tells us that that is how Jesus forgave us. When he died on the cross, it was a complete act. Brennan Manning is a is a former, was a former Catholic priest and, uh, and, a, and an alcoholic. And he tells this story of a woman from the Midwest of America who claimed to have visions of Jesus. And she kept on talking about it so much that the archbishop heard about it. And the archbishop went to her and, and, and he said to her this. He said, I believe that you keep getting visions of Jesus. Is this true? And the woman said, yes, it's true. And the archbishop thought that she was a a bit of an idiot. And so he said to her, he said, well, listen, the next time that you have a vision from Jesus, what I want you to do is this. I want you to ask him, what were the sins that he confessed in his last confession? The woman thought that this was a bit of a strange request from the Catholic archbishop. But she said, okay, I'll ask him. The the archbishop went away. Ten days later, he got a phone call from the woman to say, I've had another vision from Jesus. And so the archbishop went to see her. He looked at her in her eyes and he said to her, have you really had a vision from Jesus? The woman said, I have. And so the archbishop said, did you ask Jesus what I asked you to say? She said, yes. What did I ask you to say? The woman said, you asked me to say, what were the sins that you confessed in your last confession? The archbishop said, correct. What did Jesus say? The woman looked this time at the archbishop in his eyes and said, I can't remember. You see, that is how Jesus forgives us. So much so that he can't actually remember whenever it was the last time that you confessed your sins. That is how Jesus sees us. Yeah, I find so many people, even some Christians, who just can't believe that. And so they feel difficult in a difficult situation when when God's around. I don't know if you remember this guy. I've never seen him look like this. Have you? That is such a cool photo, isn't he? Has he arrived yet? (laughs) It's amazing what you can get off the internet, Tim. 18 months ago, Tim told us this. I don't know if you remember it, but he was was standing where I was about here, and he he told us one of the most helpful things that I've ever found about forgiveness. He said this, you are not on probation, you are forgiven. And so often we kind of 
can't forget ourselves what we've done or we can't forgive ourselves what we've done. And Jesus says you are forgiven. You're not on probation. So when it comes to Joseph and that kind of game that we played with Pete and Megan earlier on, you see, Joseph had learned a lot about forgiveness in his life. He'd had to. Think about his brothers. He had to forgive their betrayal. Think about Potiphar's wife. He had to forgive her from being falsely accused. Think about the cupbearer that we saw last week who overlooked Joseph and forgot about him and Joseph stayed in prison for two more years. Joseph had to learn a lot about forgiveness, but this is something else. It's not just about forgiveness, it's about reconciliation. And forgiveness and reconciliation are a two-stage process. It's why they take longer often reconciliation because it's about rebuilding trust. And in that story that Sarah read for us, we have the reconciliation going on because in reality, Joseph had forgiven his brothers years ago. And so this time he finds himself in a situation where he holds all the cards. He's in charge, they need his help. He knows who they are, they don't know who he is. And so he takes them on a journey back 20 years before because 20 years have passed. And he takes them back to the pit where they threw him down and left him there. First, they were going to leave him there to die, and then they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And now they come with some silver looking for grain. And so Joseph really wants to know, can I be truly reconciled with my brothers? So he gives him this first test, if you like. Because he accuses them of being spies. They deny it. It kind of goes on like that. And then he says, right, if you're not spies, you've told me you've got a younger brother, Benjamin. I want you to go back and bring Benjamin to me. And just so that I know that you're going to come back, I'm going to imprison Simeon. And what he does that they don't know, of course, at the time until they get back home, he puts the silver back in the sack. 20 years previously, they were quite happy to take the silver and leave a brother in need. What were they going to do this time? And of course, eventually they come back. They come back with Benjamin and Simeon is released and they bring the silver back as well. So then Joseph tests them a bit more. And here what he does is this. They all go for lunch, if you like, at Joseph's house. And he sits them down by age. And he gives Reuben, because Reuben was the oldest. And then Simeon. And then Levi. And he gives them a portion. And he goes all the way through the brothers until it comes to Benjamin. And then he gives Benjamin a portion five times bigger than any of the other brothers. And this is the second test, because 20 years before... Joseph was the highly favoured one. Joseph was the preferred one and it really riled the brothers. That's why Joseph was down the pit and sold in the first place. What were they going to do this time now that another of their brothers was given the preferential treatment? Were they going to mourn and complain or were they going to accept it? And it doesn't bother them at all so they pass test two. And so then comes test three. And here's what happens with test three. 
They're about to leave again with the grain, but what Joseph does is he puts a special silver cup, a really expensive silver cup, kind of like one of those silver cups that's in the treasury over there that are worth tens of thousands of pounds. And he puts one in Benjamin's sack. They don't know it, and they all go off. And then Joseph gets his steward to go and accuse them of stealing the cup. And of course, they know nothing about it, but they find out that the cup is in Benjamin's sack. And so they all have to go back and face Joseph. And Joseph says to them, well, listen, Benjamin's got to stay here. He stole the, he stole the cup. The rest of you can go. How are they going to react this time? 20 years before, when Joseph was the needy brother, they couldn't care about his life. Are they going to do exactly the same now with Benjamin? And of course, what they do is Levi offers to take Benjamin's place because it, we knows it will break his father's heart to know that Benjamin isn't coming back. And it's then that Joseph knows that reconciliation can be possible. And he tells them who he is. He orders the attendants out of the room and he bawls his eyes out. That's what the Hebrew says. He absolutely screams. He is so violent with emotion. He can't control himself. That is the, if you like, the pain and the forgiveness and the reconciliation and the grace coming out in his life. His brothers don't know what to think. Because now they think they're really in for it. But Joseph realized that not only had he forgiven them, but he could be reconciled and restoration was possible. Let us pray. Gracious God, in, in our lives, help us to be people who are quick to forgive an offense. And to forgive completely and quickly as you have forgiven us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.